Hello, this is Larry Dobrow, Editor-in-Chief of MMM, and I'm extremely excited to be a part of this episode of the Agency 100 Storycast, Storycast, a new podcast series which gives members of the MMM Agency 100 list an opportunity to discuss exactly what sets them apart. This episode, we're talking about inclusion and innovation, and specifically making health more human with two good friends and great people from Evoke. I'd like to welcome Will Reese, who is the Chief Innovation Officer, and Carla Anderson, who is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer from Evoke. Guys, thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. So it's it's, it's been a pretty big stretch for Evoke. Um, earlier this week, the company announced its I guess merger is probably the right word for it with Asheville Health. And now all the Evoke and Asheville brands are formally under the Evoke umbrella. Let's let's talk a little bit about how that affects both of your jobs. How do you lead with inclusion and protect the different subcultures that are now there? Um, you know, the legacy Asheville, the legacy Evoke. Um, how, how does this change both of your roles? Carla, why don't you start? Yeah, I think it just challenges me and my team to be a better listener. I think that at the end of the day, um, as you are going on an inclusion journey, um, there is not a one size fits all for DEI. Um, I think a lot of people try to come in with a playbook and they think that, you know, what works for one organization works exactly the same for another. And that's not necessarily true. So we've been on like a, a listening journey, understanding cultures and really trying to build what is going to be our new authentic evoke. Uh, there's some elements that are just really seamless. Um, and it's been really great to see that many of the other agencies that are now part of evoke. Um, have similar values. Uh, we really are about authenticity in our journey. And so I love that because it challenges our team to really continue to forge ahead. We have new strength, new ideas. And I definitely think we're more innovative um, because we are more inclusive and we have a different and unique um, lens through which we can view things. But we also are able to kind of stay true to our cultures. And, and, and that thing, those things are harmonious. I don't think you have to have one without the other. So I'm really excited about the journey ahead. We're becoming better listeners um, and we're really on, on the brink of something really great, I believe. Will, from your perspective as the innovation guru, um, how, how have things changed if they've changed at all? No, I mean, I, I think... I think the interesting experience has been, you know, to Carla's point, you, you now have a, a much larger collection of perspective, a, a much larger collection of talent. Um, you know, it, it automatically diversified the organization. It was, you know, again, going back to a set of microcultures, you now have a, a pretty unique base of, of where people live, how they made up their companies, the experiences they had. So the ability to kind of tap into that network and, and that group of thought is pretty exciting. Health More Human is, you know, it's, it's evokes everything. It's your motto. It's what you live by. It's your culture. Um, tell me a little bit about how Health More Human presents itself now, not just in the wake of Evoke and Asheville becoming one, but uh, in the wake of so much else going on post-pandemic, post-George Floyd, post-everything else. Yeah, I think Will and I both have very similar thoughts on this, uh, even though our our areas of focus are somewhat nuanced. Uh, for me, I think uh, Health for Human became much more of a rallying cry and an urgency that we had to embed in everything that we do. Uh, no one could have imagined three years ago that we would be going through 
Uh, and I say going through because the pandemic has not ended, especially for many underrepresented and marginalized com- yes, communities. Absolutely. People are still suffering. People are still dying and people um, are still really um, dealing with loss. So for us, I think we really had to tap into our humanity. Um, we really had to challenge ourselves in our inclusion journey to make sure that everything that we did was connected to an ultimate goal of health equity, um, how we're servicing our clients and how we show up and present the work that we do has impact on real people. Uh, it's not, you know, the something that's theoretical. It's something that had to become very practical. We learned a lot from our employees, from their stories. Um, we have also recommitted our kind of uh, approach to DEI with a focus on mental health for this year, because mental health for us is something that we could resonate with internally, but also um, has a really big impact on the work that we do. If we tap into and provide resources for our employees internally to strengthen their mental health, to allow them to be vulnerable and psychologically safe in this kind of uncertain terrain that we're in, um, it helped us to be more innovative in how we approached our client works, our deliverables, and ultimately this kind of end goal around health equity. And I'll probably circle back to that quite a few times because I think you hear the word health equity and addressing healthcare disparities a lot now. Um, I think it has almost become a buzzword. But for us, it's really at the core of what I view as health more human and what we really try to address it from from a DEI perspective. Will, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think you know when you look at health equity, it, it is has been a chronic gap. the The last you know two or three years are very acute. They've changed the focus. They've raised that perspective, but but it's an enduring commitment. And it's an, you know it's a shame it was not um, as top of mind, as prioritized, as engaged prior to some of these events. Now there's completely no excuse. And and I think when you look at the potential for altering the course of health equity, you look at the span and scope of the healthcare space, the life science space, the agencies that support the space, you have a tremendous, A, talent pool, you have a tremendous um, amount of resource investment, time investment, talent, and and potential financial investment to truly make a pretty dramatic alteration to that course. You know, again, you look at it like a chronic disease. If you're not doing the right experiments, if you're not prioritizing that condition, it doesn't get better. And we've seen it, you know, in the life science space, if you don't invest in it, you don't prioritize it, there's no hope of getting to a cure, getting to a better space. I think that's what people have started to prioritize. And, And I think that's, to me, that hope of how do we make you know tangible practical gains continuous? Like it has to be continuous momentum. It can't be backsliding. It has to keep that that kind of forward motion. Has the healthcare industry writ large made it continuous, or has it had been has it been one of those things where okay, you know, we talk about it for a couple of weeks, and there are committees and everything else, and then it kind of fades into the background? Um, what kind of follow up are you seeing? You know, some somewhat. I don't want to say post pandemic. That was bad word choice earlier. But at this stage in the pandemic, um, what what are you seeing in a broader sense? I still don't feel that it is that momentum building. And and, and I think partly is um, planning. I think there's a time aspect to it. I think it is a prioritization aspect to it. Um, you know, I... 
again, the the leaders in organizations have to make it a priority. They have to, you know, say that that this, we are this kind of organization. This is our focus, and then that priority starts to shift across functions, no matter what your role is or what your function, I think that's where we've seen success. And, and Carla can talk about literally within Evoke what what that prioritization and how leadership has worked with her. Yeah, and I, I really think, you know, when you say it starts at the top, I say it starts at the very top. And, you know, I was very honest when I had the the pleasure of kind of meeting Reed for the first time. I grilled him. I said, you know, how are we going to make this real? Uh, and, and I really appreciated what he said. He said, this is not a nice to have, but this is a business imperative. Um, and he said, I want you to hold me accountable. And uh, I don't know if Reed knew exactly what he was asking for at that time, but but we definitely <laughs> we definitely have have done that. Um, so we we launched an executive inclusion uh, leadership council. And it has the senior most executive from all of our specialty agency teams. Um, everyone in our platform has to show that they are bought in from the very top. And they're in um, our conversations around how do we show up for our clients and how do we show up for our employees in a way that is meaningful, in a way that is um, something that is a systemic change and, and, and not something that we're just kind of ticking the box. So from a health equity lens and also from a client service lens, we've started to have conversations around how do we distinguish between diversity, equity, inclusion and multicultural marketing? And how do we build in and invest into a, a multicultural marketing center of excellence um, so that all the work that we do, not just the ones that are clearly evidently have a DNI link, but how do we make sure that everything that we do uh, really kind of goes back to this complete investment in, in inclusion and understanding it as a business imperative. Uh, also, we've invested a lot in education. Uh, I think that a big gap in um, the, the journey is we all sometimes say words like diversity, equity, inclusion, and health equity, but we all have something different in our minds as to what they really mean. Uh, so we built out a lexicon so that everybody in our organization can be moving in the same direction, understanding uh, what diversity, equity, and inclusion mean and how it should relate to the work that we do. Uh, so we wanted people to know that if you know nothing else, diversity is the composition. That's the composition only. Um, equity is a part of the journey. It's how do we really do the things to level the playing field. Inclusion is is really a part of our result and health equity is our ultimate goal. So everything that we do should really be connecting these three, these four parts of that journey and we all play a role. So I also say that we've been building in some action plans um, to increase our exposure to different so that we are able to really understand the communities that we are communicating with increasing and thinking about how do we volunteer, what are the organizations that we donate to, and how does it really ultimately support the work that we're trying to do on a day-to-day -day basis? This is, this is probably a little bit of a dopey question, given that it's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing initiative. But Carla, what, what does success look like? Um, what are some of the things that you're looking for that the committee is looking for to say, hey, we're making actionable, real progress here? Yeah, we're very metric based, but I recognize, you know, um, that diversity and inclusion has a qualitative and a quantitative aspect to it. So I will say qualitatively, our employees have said that they want to work for an organization that invests in the greater good. Um, so our employees are very vocal. And so a big measure of success is, is, is measuring our employee engagement. How much are our employees showing up to our activities and initiatives? 
how much are they actually taking away in terms of our health equity tips that we give and that we're actually showing in the work that we do? And then I also think representation matters. So a lot of what we would like to see is an ultimate transformation in the makeup of our of our teams and of our of our agencies. We don't want to still be having the same conversation around a lack of diversity in our industry 10, 20 and 30 years down the line. So for us, success looks like building a legacy where we have a bright variety of talent who's interested and engaged in our organization at every level, not just at the entry level, but throughout middle management and even ascending into executive ranks. So we're really focused on looking at representation. Uh, We're looking at engagement and increasing those numbers. And then I would also say that we are really, really um, looking at success as something that's evolving because there are things that come up every single day that are critical to our success in our journey on diversity, equity, and inclusion. So this year, we have a really big drive around mental health. And I would like to see that our employees are increasing their um, reliance on our employee assistance programs, that we're seeing increases in numbers of of employees who are comfortable talking about their neurodivergence, um, and that we see that reflected in the work that we do. So it's several different measures of success. But at the end of the day, we're talking about the legacy so that we're not having the same conversations around DEI three, four, five years down the line. And I would say one thing that, that, you know, it's a pretty large healthcare gap is the data, the insights and the benchmarking around the current state uh, to measure against. So in many cases, there's a, there's a you know, you, you can't pick a condition that is not, th- that there isn't a gap in adequately measuring some of the current issues in health equity. There's giant across, you know, kind of the nation and frankly, the globe, there's massive blind spots because no one has quantified, measured, put the data together. And then what you're starting to see on the data side is as people start to put the data together, the data becomes biased because the data was put, you know, in a very biased perspective and didn't have a diverse group thinking about the data, bringing in the human insight into the data piece. That to me is a huge opportunity, is to marry the human side, the data side. How do we have uh, a diverse view? How do we have a more equitable view of data and measurement and then apply that? And that has implications for client work they do. It has implications for the talent that we do, plus the, the broader societal benefit. You know, it's funny, that leads into my next question very nicely. Um, one of the reasons I was so excited for this conversation is that the two of your roles, um, innovation and inclusion, generally aren't ones that are paired together. Um, how important is it, though, that the two of you work together, that your functions work together? Um, how are the two related, and why don't we see more of people in your roles congregating the way that, obviously, Evoke has you congregate? Yeah, I, I, and I apologize. Well, I feel like I'm jumping in every time, so feel free. <laughs> we always have like a, a, a tag team, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say something short and sweet. I think people don't fully understand what our roles are, which is why you don't often see them paired together. Um, I think that innovation is something that is so critically um, important to any organization's success that sometimes we don't take the time to unpack what it really means and what it takes to have an innovative organization. So for us, we've wed the two together because for us, you can't have innovation without having diversity of thought, without having um, inclusion and cultural competency 
amongst our workforce. Um, you have to understand that that really kind of undergirds all of the conversation we're having. Um, I also think it's critically important that we uh, are wed together because in some ways, we strengthen each other and we challenge each other. There are going to be some things that may be a really groundbreaking, innovative idea, but it may have implications that are not always positive in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Right. And we have to have the tough conversations. We have to have the push and pull because that's really what that what, that's really what will take us to um, the next level if we're honest and transparent and we have the tough conversation so that at least for any measure that we're taking, we understand the pros and cons and are able to move forward uh, with, with education. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the crux of, of kind of both our missions is, is a change mission. You know, change the way that the organization thinks about talent, how we engage with talent. Carla's owning that and, and bringing the bear Again, a, a much better and, and a broader perspective. I'm looking at cha- you know change from a, an external, an engagement, a strategy perspective. You can't change without a, a more diverse viewpoint. You can't change without changing your perspective. I think a, a lot of times as an industry, we get very siloed and, and insular and we do not uh, get to the level of granularity and get to the level of appreciation of uh, a, a lot of elements that would drive innovation, the solutions that would make a larger impact. In many cases, you know, a, a lot of folks in industry aren't out in communities. They're not seeing what rural healthcare looks like. They're not seeing the experience of somebody with, you know, disability and what a day in the life looks like. I think with that greater depth and appreciation, you would decide different things. You'd have different strategy. You'd come up with better ideas. I could never do that in an organization without somebody like Carla to to provide that perspective. It becomes invaluable, and I think you know the the pairing creates uh, again what could never be done in isolation. And I think hopefully it accelerates that momentum. Like to me. The mashing up of, you know, perspective in unique ways will get to innovation faster. We'll keep that momentum moving in a much quicker pace. And we'll also keep the humanity behind the innovation, which is why I say that innovation is nothing if we don't keep the human perspective um, at, at the foundation. What can we do to really impact everyday people in everyday situations with everyday health outcomes and how do we really, really take things to the next level, treating everybody as though they were part of our family. Um, and so that's what I really like to think about. Carla, how do you do that? How do you ensure that humanity is kept at the center of all of this? Uh, what are some of the things that are working well for Evoke in its work? Yeah, I, I really say that I'm going to circle back to something that I mentioned at the beginning, which is listening. Uh, we go on listening tours and ask our employees at every level how they're thinking about our initiatives. What are some of the gaps that they're filling in the work that they're doing? And we continue to host focus groups, one-on-ones. We launch committees and we want the buy-in of everyone. You know, we ask interns what they're thinking because they're the future of our, of our industry, right? We want to understand what are some of the thoughts that may be different generationally. Um, and we always try to make sure, uh, and, and probably uh, sometimes it's, 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 it's challenging conversations. We ask who's not at the table when we're making decisions. Hey, what what 
population is not represented here? You know, what viewpoint is not represented or or who may be at the table but hasn't had an opportunity to weigh in? Um, you know, people give feedback in different ways. Uh, so we have to also think about how do we get feedback from introverts? How do we get feedback from extroverts? How do we get feedback from people who are about to retire? Because their viewpoint is just as important as someone who's just starting their career journey. So at a vote, we really look at talent from an integrated talent management perspective, where we're thinking about employees at every stage in their in their journey. Um, and we really try to make sure that everything that we do has alignment and has purpose. Um, and we also really do a big, big, big job of making sure that we think about our, our employees as the people out in the in the world that we're ultimately trying to impact. So we ask them to bring forth ideas from their communities, bring forth ideas from things that they volunteered with and, and learned a lesson out in the in the world. And then also I I try to make personally um, a goal that I expose myself to something different. Um, because that's how you grow. And I encourage our executive leadership team to do that as well. Exposure to difference breeds different experiences. Um, exposure to difference breeds different forms of education. And it helps us to kind of stay grounded um, in work that can sometimes feel very daunting. You know, my background is that I was in the legal industry, which is also a service industry. And one of the things that we had to really challenge ourselves to do is, hey, take off your lawyer hat and put on your human being hat. What is the just result that we're ultimately trying to strive for and how do we ultimately get there? We had initially phrased this question as, you know, what agencies could do to better understand the importance of inclusion and innovation. But I'd actually like to attack it from a different perspective. What are some of the things that both of you are seeing that other organizations might not be doing well? Where are some of the what are some of the potholes that you can step into on the way to doing this as well as Evoke does? I go back to sort of what I mentioned earlier. I think you have to get out into communities. And, and Carla just said it. You have to have these experiences. You, you know, I, it's, it's sitting in a room and looking at standard research to me is outdated. And, and, and I, you know, I believe quite a lot of traditional market research we do in this industry is sitting in rooms. It is very artificial and, and definitely oftentimes not very diverse. There are better ways and methods to hear from actual people, you know, do ethnographies, to sit down the reality day in the life, work with the advocacy partners much more aggressively to be able to get that that full breadth of, of what the communities actually look like and get to that level of granularity. You have to get out. You have to get exposed to more of the realities of, of what care looks like in this country what living with certain conditions looks like, what the communities that someone is living within and is managing a health condition within a community and all these other challenges, seeing it firsthand, hearing it firsthand, listening, that would radically change the decisions you'd make versus looking at a PowerPoint or looking at a screen or research or looking at a graph. You, you, admit you won't make those same kind of smart human decisions without that experience. Oh, I agree 1000%. I think it's some of the most humbling experiences that you get through just kind of stepping outside of your normal day to day and, and spending time um, in an underserved community. Um, and everyone can be an ally to everybody else. So that just because you may understand or be a part of a certain community doesn't mean uh, that you understand the journeys of everyone. So I think, you know, for me, uh, one of the things I have to say is our industry has to be willing to step away from, but we've always done it this way. Innovation 
requires us to step outside of our comfort zone, to step outside of our safe space and to try to do and look at things a little bit differently. Uh, you know, for a vote specific to DEI, we've also had to challenge ourselves in that same respect. You know, how do we make um, DEI a part of the very fabric that we uh, that we want it to be a part of the fabric of our culture. Well, first, that required us to take a, an investment, not have DNI as a volunteer opportunity, not have DNI as a one-person show, but they actually invested in a team of people, full-time dedicated professionals that are responsible for embedding DNI into everything that we do every single day. That was something that is not always seen as... Um, uh, I would say not always seen as economically uh, possible in our in, in our industry, but Reed made it a priority to invest dollars and cents in diversity and inclusion and to make sure that we had a multi-year strategy, um, not just based on events and fun and food, but really based on systemic change around various aspects of different pillars around inclusion. One thing I would add to that the, to, to think about is that commitment Look at the, you know, for an agency, look at the level of commitment you have. Is it truly a sustainable commitment? To me, that, that the, you know, I would use, think sustainable, sustain, you know, as part of sustainability, which is also important in, in kind of the Evoke framework, but sustainability and DNI go hand in hand, and your DNI initiatives need to be sustainable. That's an important benchmark, I think. And, and again, you'd get much, much different results. Were there any uh, in developing the strategy and developing the team, bringing everybody together and doing this? Were there any false steps along the way? Were there any kind of I don't want to say like you know you want to mulligan for it because certainly you learn from every experience. But what were maybe one or two of the assumptions that both of you had going into this that maybe didn't prove out when you took it a little bit further down the road? Yeah, and I think what you're getting at, Larry, is really about like what challenges did we face or we were kind of proven wrong and we had to kind of <laughs> rebuild or, and rethink of it. And, and I'm always transparent about that. I, I think that, you know, at every stage in the DEI journey, you're going to learn just as much from your failures as you will from the things that you succeed at. Um, so I think for us, you know, there were kind of two <laughs> big things that kind of come to mind for us. I think we had to be honest about the realities that you can't tackle every single issue and do it well. You have to have priorities even within your DNI journey. So for us, while we do education on many different cross-cultural segments and many different identities, we also identify that each year we're going to have two or three things that we're going to really hit the ground running, really go hard, really make sure we put as much resources into them as possible and, and really try to change, not just doing something for the sake of checking the box, but something to make a really huge impact. And I think that that is a little contrary. And sometimes it may feel, you know, a little uncomfortable because all of these issues are very important. But for us, for, for this year, for example, on the heels of everything from 2020, from the global pandemic to George Floyd, we said for 2020, while we'll have cross-cultural education, we're going to really focus on mental health, disabilities, and race and ethnicity. That is really a big priority for us. And we're going to try to move the needle in these areas. Now we have other areas identified for 2023 and beyond that are also going to be very important. Uh, but we had to really kind of get ourselves out of the thinking that we could do every single thing every year and be really great at it. While we do want to provide multiple opportunities, we had to say, what are we going to truly, truly um, put all of our resources behind and, and really try to advance the needle? And I think the other area, and, and Carl used the word, you know, uncomfortable, I think, you know, the, the space and the discussions and thinking about it 
it will lead to uncomfortable conversations. Oh, yeah. And and on it, and if it doesn't, then you're probably not really doing it. You're really not committed. It, 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 you don't have to go very deep to get to an uncomfortable conversation. And I think there's a level of organizational maturity to have those uncomfortable conversations. And that's at all levels of the organization. You need that that you're never going to it, it may never be completely comfortable. But it has to be something that you can create that open dialogue. You can have that level of transparency. Um, and, and honestly, you feel a, a level of trust from the peers in the organization. And I think that's that's a thing going in, um, you know, again, joining Evoke in January and then going through and having that experience in Carla and her team, the multicultural marketing team, working with everybody. That has been unique to me, the level of trust to have some of those conversations and have those dialogues and feel like we're making progress, feel like um, we are creating some some uh, better paths forward. Th- that to me has been an interesting opportunity, exciting, but also something I think organizations have to get better at and, and, and a muscle that that we have to um, build, you know, continuously. So to bring this conversation back around to the link between innovation and inclusion, the day-to-day, how do you connect the dots? How do the two of you work together You know, day in, day out? What are some of your most important touch points? What are the things that are working best on that very, very immediate day-to-day basis? Yeah, I'll jump in with one thought. Um, I think just the fact in our structure, Will and I are both a part of the executive leadership team, which is huge because therefore we are forcing innovation and inclusion to be a part of every leadership meeting and discussion that we have at Evoke. It's not something where Will and I are just off to the side meeting. We have the ability to raise the point of innovation and inclusion or the lack thereof in things that we're doing with our full leadership team and our agency leaders every single time that we meet. So I think that that is huge because sometimes you want to have a side inclusion meeting or you want to have a side innovation meeting, but if it's really embedded in the work that you do, you need these two players at the table with senior leadership able to engage on a regular basis. Um, so that is one thing that kind of immediately comes to mind for me, just making sure, and, and we do this all the time, we make sure that we raise the point that we are the person to push the fold in the room and say, hey, you know, this is going to have a potentially um, unintended consequence. Let's talk about that. And, and we and we try to raise that and, and, and also do it in a way that with empathy, because also to Will's point, these are uncomfortable conversations. And so we really try to push our leaders to have them. But we have a lot of empathy along the journey so that people don't have to get it perfect, but that we are comfortable with the progress that we're making. I would also say one thing that I'm really excited about that's launching actually this month, uh, we're launching a global diversity action committee and it's global. And that's I think one of the nuances that we are gonna have to collaborate a lot on. Uh, we have gotten a lot of feedback. There are so many nuances that are based on geography alone, right? And how inclusion and innovation work together in the US may be a little bit different than how it works together in, in London or in Dublin or in Belgium. And so we have to have those conversations because those are all places where we have employees, where we have clients, and we are really pushing ourselves to think about the global nature of inclusion and innovation and how sometimes there, are, there may be nuances there. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, when, when you look broadly at technology and, you know, within the innovation umbrella, you know, I have customer experience and engagement strategy and marketing technology function. A number of those areas historically have not been very diverse areas. 
based on, on who studied them in school, based on how we recruit, how we engage. So thinking through, you know, how do you bring more diversity to the technology space? How do you bring more diversity into solving for experience-driven uh, client challenges has been a critical area and an area that I think we're going to continue to make uh, pretty strong progress in building a, a very diverse talent base and something, as I said, that historically, even within the agency space, has not been as diverse as it should be. All right. To wrap up, I want to throw one last question at um, both of you. From this conversation, what are three things that each of you think medical marketers should take away from this? What are the most important aspects? Just drill down really succinctly. Well, I'm going to make you go first this time. President <laughs> <laughs> on the hardest one, right? <laughs> I just want to make, yeah, I'll see how succinct I am. Um, I think you, you, you have to get out of your comfort zone and, and get out of, you know, meeting rooms, boardrooms, get out of Zooms and, and meet with people, listen to people, bring people in. People have stories that they want to tell, that, that they want people to hear. We do have to get out there and, and listen better. You have to build this into planning. You know, a lot of brands are starting their planning season. And if you don't build it into your plans, if you don't consider it a strategic imperative for your brands or you're building your agency plan for next year, if you don't put it as an imperative, you don't build it into the plans, it isn't, you know, diversity by default, you're going to have a problem because you're not going to, you know, put set aside investment. You're not going to set aside the, the right amount of dedication. And, and, and I think the last piece is, is that empathy piece. You know, the more that you can listen, learn, um, you know, reach out and, and, and find people that are going to teach you things. I, you know, I only know so much and I appreciate other people knowing things and, and having experiences. I love that. I think the more we can do that, um, yeah, the better off we'd be. And I'll try to be as succinct as possible as well, uh, but I can't make promises. Uh, so, Larry, I will say uh, representation matters. Make sure that everything that we do, we have multiple stakeholders at the table that represent the different communities that we're ultimately serving, not just at the entry level, but at client teams, who's being who's involved in the work that you do, um, who's engaging with your start party stakeholders. Just make sure uh, that we we are being thoughtful about representation, not as a check the box, but that as a systemic way that we look at talent. Um, I would also say that leverage the reality of where we are right now. You know, one of the amazing things about innovation in our industry, and um, I will say a positive thing that has come out of this really, really challenging pandemic is that our industry has shifted. You don't just have talent who are in the major markets in New York and California and, and London abroad, but you have the ability to tap into potential communities that we're servicing, rural communities. Um, I'm from Alabama. Like who would have thought that a, a person from Birmingham, Alabama would be heavily involved in marketing and advertising, right? So I think we have to think about investment in the in the smaller communities uh, that we are ultimately serving and leveraging our talent and looking at them in that way. And then I would say, finally, investment in health equity and DNI it has to be a real thing. Uh, you would never have a volunteer CFO or a volunteer finance team. Don't have a volunteer diversity, equity, inclusion team. Make sure you invest in trained professionals who are really going to carry the work forward. But if you remember nothing else, diversity is not just the job of the DEI team. 
we all have a role to play in ensuring that our workforces are equitable, that that we have cultural competency, um, and ultimately that we're investing in health equity so that we're not having the same conversations 10, 20, and 30 years down the line. Amen. Amen. Carla, Will, this was a tremendous conversation. Thanks so much for having, a, having me here to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you.